Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I am a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and I've worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Now, our topic today is help through caregiver support programs, that's family caregiver support programs for Alzheimer's disease. So a quick word about Alzheimer's disease. Well, it's obviously a serious mental health disorder. It can't be cured and it can't be prevented And neither does it yet have a fully effective and reliable way of slowing its progress. It harms the person's ability to understand, to remember, and to communicate. And those three things undermine everything the person does. It undermines and harms emotions. uh, It harms behavior. And sometimes the behavior can even become aggressive. Alzheimer's disease comes on as we age. And here's the problem. And because our population in North America and elsewhere is aging, more and more of us are getting Alzheimer's disease, which is very worrying to all of us and to the healthcare system, which is going to be very stressed. And all of this is why family caregiving is becoming more and more important, which is why caregiver support programs are becoming more and more important. And this is why our guests are so important to this topic and to talk about them I'm welcoming two guests, Dr. Linda Terry and Amy McFarlane. Now, first of all, I'd like to introduce Dr. Linda Terry by giving you uh, a glimpse of her impressive bio. She's a member of the Medical and Scientific Advisory Council of the Alzheimer's Association. She's professor of psychosocial and community health at the University of Washington. She holds the PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Vermont in Burlington. She won the Alzheimer's Association Pioneer Award for her work in psychosocial treatments to reduce behavioral problems in persons with dementia. She received the Gerontological Society of America's most prestigious Lawton Award for a significant contribution in gerontology that led to innovation in treatment for aging people. She was a key researcher in several studies sponsored by the National Institute for Mental Health and the Alzheimer's Association, among others. She founded the University of Washington School of Nursing's De Tournier Center for Healthy Aging, and she served for five years as the center's director. 
she is a fellow of the American Psychological Association and the Gerontological Society of America. Our other guest is Amy McFarlane, who's founder and CEO of Recreational Respite, Inc., which is at www.recrespite.com. This is a Canadian company. She founded it, which provides for creative living and innovative care. She took on the dedication and commitment to creating recreational respite after she recognized and saw the need in the community for supportive programs that offered inclusive environments for people with mental impairments like Alzheimer's disease, physical challenges, and developmental diversities. Her passion in the field of healthcare is united with hands-on, educated, and expert background in personal support work, healthcare and business development, therapeutic recreation, health sciences, and gerontology. Welcome to the show, Linda and Amy. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm going to go straight away and ask Linda the first question. Please, Linda, tell us more about your research. Well, first, thank you, Gordon, for allowing me this opportunity, and I'm thrilled to hear your perception of the importance of caregivers. I 100% agree. And my research focuses on helping this very important population of adults care for those who have dementia and related memory disorders. Uh, My research looks at family caregivers as well as professional and non-professional caregivers to try to see if we can develop programs to improve the care they receive to address those very issues that you mentioned, the memory problems, the emotional distress, and the behavioral difficulties. Because only by doing that can we improve the quality of life of these older adults and improve the life of the caregivers as well. That's, that's the focus of my research. Right, right on. Amy, please tell us more about your work specifically as it relates to Alzheimer's disease and, you know, the health conditions like it. Amy? Sure. So we provide one-on-one programming with a focus, though, on recreation um, and uh, psychosocial well-being in terms of overall quality of life. So beyond um, what has been traditionally been offered as companionship service, but something that really helps connect that individual uh, to whether it be their community, their current society, or um, their situations within their homes. Now, I'm going back to Linda. Um, we use a lot of jargon in, in, the, in this business that we're all in. So what are caregiver support prog- programs and what is meant by non-pharmacological treatment and how actually do these help with the challenges of Alzheimer's disease? Linda? Caregiver support programs are basically a variety of different things that provide education, skills training, uh, and services to help caregivers. So caregiver support is exactly that. It's caregiver support. Non-pharmacological basically means providing the support through educational and skills training that does not rely on medication, that does not rely on pharmacological approaches. So even some of the plans to work with the person with Alzheimer's disease directly uh, are considered non-pharmacological because you're not uh, providing medication. These programs uh, help 
the challenges of Alzheimer's disease in a number of ways. As you also mentioned, uh, there's no cure currently, and while we all hope there will be a cure, until a cure is available, these programs help provide support and help caregivers cope with the difficulties that Alzheimer's disease uh, brings with it. Right. Amy, please tell us about your own family experience with family caregiving and how you work with family caregivers of the persons for whom you provide the caregiver support program. Sure. So my own experience stemmed um, quite a while ago when we were faced with a variety of, of types of dementia. And one of the things was as we understood the complexities of the healthcare system and how challenging it was to sort of get the answers that we needed that made sense to us and as, as family members caring for a loved one. So what I was really dedicated to doing was coming up with solutions and empowering tools for family members to ensure that they had what they needed to make sure that their days were bright, um, that they had the support that they needed, and offered them suggestions as to how to improve the quality of life for their own loved ones, and in doing so, providing uh, support for them as caregivers and understanding that this was the disease and it wasn't personal, um, all of the things that, that Linda referred refers to in, in the non-pharmacological sense. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to Linda on this very point about non-pharmacological. Um, a tricky question coming up, but does that mean that we're generally speaking thinking that medication is not as useful as we would hope it would be? I don't think anybody's saying we should stop it, but am I right in saying that, or is it just that the pharmacological approach is totally separate from what you and Amy are doing. Thank you, Gordon. That's a really good point. Uh, it can be separate, but I think more often than not, it's uh, in combination with. I think whether we have a pharmacological orientation or non-pharmacological orientation, we want to provide the best care we can. So oftentimes, uh, medication plus these strategies Sometimes medication doesn't work, uh, and oftentimes trying these strategies first is the way to approach it because they don't have side effects, and, of course, any medication is going to have side effects. So it's some combination uh, with a lot of care and thought in terms of how to approach it. Right. Amy, you're, you, you, made, you used the word connections, making connections. Um, you made some connections with your own experience and on what you see happening with family caregivers who, you, who you're providing services for. Please say, please answer this tricky question. Um, I've had people say to me on this show, Amy, that really the professionals who are most useful to them are those who've had the family experience with family caregiving. Now, um, I think that's going a bit too far, but what is your sense of the value of the family experience in creating the connection with the people for whom you're working? Well, certainly, and again, great question, because what we often find with a lot of the families that we work with, and even myself experiencing um, in our own family dynamics, the disconnect that happens and where we forget the role of being family member and we turn into the role of becoming nurse um, or doctor or uh, companion. or So we start to lose sight of the individual as they were, uh, for example, our moms uh, and our dads, uh, brothers and sisters, and we start to take on the role of, of the professional without really having any 
official training. Um, and so we, on so many levels emotionally for us as family members, this is very difficult um, to, to cope with. And therefore, having some clouded judgments, not knowing who to call and get the support that's needed. Yeah, very interesting. Now, we are coming to the end of this particular episode, and I just want to comment back to you both that what we're talking about, what you two have both been talking about, uh, is profoundly important to family caregivers and also to the healthcare system uh, because more and more the burden is falling on people like family caregivers. And I'd like just to sort of stress that as, um, one of the themes of this particular episode. So now we're going, we have to pay the rent, so it is time to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Hadley, and my guests are Dr. Linda Terry and Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us, we are coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime not to listen. Listen for MD Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel. That's Muscular Development Radio. Every Monday, your host, Sean Ray, will take you inside the world of bodybuilding and health and fitness. The show will feature Hall of Fame bodybuilders, trainers, judges, and the future champions of tomorrow. Plus, you'll be invited to participate in our call-in Ask the Pros feature. And our nutritional spotlight will feature products that can help you achieve your fitness goals. MD Radio is broadcast live Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Linda Terry and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is help through caregiver support programs for Alzheimer's disease. So in this segment, let's talk about Alzheimer's disease 
and caregiver support programs and how they work, just how they work. So, first of all, for you, Linda, please, what are the principal ways in which Alzheimer's disease is actually treated? There are a number of ways. The first is to focus on the memory disorder because that's paramount in Alzheimer's disease. So you have medications that uh, attempt to enhance the cognitive function. You have strategies to help people remember things, labels, uh, memory tricks, uh, reminders. You then also focus on the behavioral problems because they are, of course, paramount in trying to provide care the mood problems. So uh, typically Alzheimer's disease is treated by looking at the actual problems that are occurring and addressing them. Uh, finally, the, other, the last uh, way is caregiver uh, support that we've been talking about already, uh, as well as physical health uh, and uh, physical activity. Uh, very important to keep people with Alzheimer's disease active and to keep uh, experiences positive between them and the caregivers. So there's a host of different directions that interventions uh, take. Right. We're going to come back to explore some of those dimensions um, in a moment. I want to go to Amy now and ask you, Amy, in the work you do, what are the types of special needs for which you recommend caregiver support programs, and why do you recommend them? Right, so I really start to identify um, with caregivers in terms of when to obtain some support uh, programs in a variety of settings when they start to feel that themselves or their loved ones have become are becoming isolated um, they're, they're, they're lacking the connection with their social groups um, or their social groups are changing or possibly diminishing altogether um, their loved one is, is not as active as they used to be emotionally physically, mentally um, and at that point, you know, our approach is really about being proactive uh, as opposed to the reactive approach. Uh, and so that's really when we start to identify that these special needs um, need to start looking into caregiver support programs. Okay. Now let's, let me go to Linda with this question. Uh, let's talk about the role of the family care caregiver and the, the care of persons with Alzheimer's the kind of ways we've been talking about, and the role of the family caregiver relative to other forms of care. Now, first off is how, and you've already both hinted at this, how do you differentiate the kind of care role of the family caregiver from that of the professional uh, care provider? And having done that differentiation, how important, relatively speaking, is the family caregiving? I think family caregiving is critical. The person with dementia, uh, often or Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common form of dementia, uh, often doesn't understand what's going on, and the family needs to help them make sense of their world. Uh, the family provides the structure. They provide the love and support. Uh, no professional can provide that. Uh, Amy and I can care a great deal about the people we try to help, but we're not family, and family plays a very important role. Uh, the family can tell uh, a professional what the person with Alzheimer's disease used to like to do 
what were their interests, what were their preferences, what are their priorities, uh, and only a family member or a very, very close friend uh, would be able to have that information to imp improve the care they receive. Amy, I'm just going to pursue that in, in this way. Please give us some real-life exa examples of the way in which caregiver support programs have helped meet some of these caregiving challenges that Alzheimer's disease uh, presents. Sure. So even in some of the work that we've done, um, what we really focus on is being able to help identify what some of the family members are not able to do so anymore just because they're so overwhelmed with the caregiving role. So help identify the abilities, the strengths, the needs, the recreational interests of the individual, and then therefore figuring out what's going to work for that client to have the most positive experience. And what we've found is often, you know, it's something as simple as assisting with transitioning into a, a day program that's most fit, most suitable for that client, um, and or help identify other, other supports that can be put in place. So that's really some the real-life examples of, that we see um, that the caregivers can, can really benefit from those support programs. In a particular, can you think of a particular instance, without actually naming any names or identifying anybody, of how that actually worked out, the particular situations in which it worked out? Yeah, so we, we actually had a client who was um, very, uh, very isolated. Her primary caregiver was her husband. They were in their early 90s, both of them. The husband was very overwhelmed with this task of, of caregiving for his wife, who was always the sole provider and very capable. Um, and she, he was just having no luck getting this, his loved one involved in anything. In fact, nobody could even come to the house. Uh, it was a stranger. The paranoia was setting in suspiciousness. Um, so what we were able to identify was the fact that she loved to bake, and for 25 years she was a volunteer at the hospital. Um, and so for her, her whole role and sense of worth was really about being a part of something. So we knew she was ultimately a good fit for a day program, but the task was getting her into the day program. So what we had done was had her bake with us. We had her bake her favorite um, European pastries, and we had her donate them to a day program that we knew inevitably she could become a member of. Um, and so through time and us working with her, we actually had her feel at ease with the transition itself and therefore alleviated a lot of the pressure on the home front with both of them. Very interesting and very telling. Um, it's it involved, isn't it, in uh, an activity in a role that brought a sort of job satisfaction. Maybe that's a crude way of putting it, but that's, I think, what I got the message I get. Now, Linda, I want to go back to you. Um, you made a very important, I think, if I may comment this way, distinction between the family caregiver and the professional in the sense that the family caregiver is the one who understands the needs of the person, the, ones who, the one who perhaps speaks for the person uh, to explain how things are, the one who interprets things to the person and maybe from the person. Now, I've got this double-edged question. First of all, have I got it at least a bit right in what I just said to you? And if I have, what are the ways in which you deal with the situation where the family caregiver may not really sufficiently understand what's happening to the loved one as the disease changes everything in the loved one's life and life, life space? 
What, what about that? Yeah, so two, two points here that you've made, Gordon, that I, I think are very important. The first is that the family uh, does understand the past, and I think Amy's uh, comment was very telling. She wouldn't have been able to figure out that this person liked to bake if the the husband hadn't told her. And then once having that information, she was able to take it further. So I think that's a wonderful example of how the family provides that context that then somebody else can say, all right, now let's think about what we can do that she will enjoy. Because that's the other piece, the pleasurable aspect of what she found. So uh, the second piece is what about when families don't understand the changes? And that's where education and information from a a healthcare provider, a professional, can perhaps give them the distance to understand that this person with dementia isn't being difficult, isn't uh, ignoring them, isn't being argumentative. It's really a debilitating disease process, and to help families understand what that really means. Uh, our brain influences every single thing we do. So when the brain gets sick, everything we do changes. Right. I'm still with you, staying with you, Linda, on this particular point. Um, memory, when memory is fading, then the people who have the memory of what's gone on before, uh, it's your point, are going to be chiefly the family caregivers. There's other ways in which you, um, your discipline in psychology, can encourage the sharing of memories between the family caregiver and the person with the condition. And if so, how, how valuable are those methods? One of the things that we do in our interventions and in our research is we have families identify what we call pleasant activities, and I expect this is something that Amy touches on as well. We try to have families think about what did people like to do, what did they do together, and then they actually talk with families about that. And one avenue of intervention is called reminiscence therapy, where part of what families and providers do is reminisce, help the person remember pleasant experiences, and in some ways relive those happy times. Uh, so the memories become very important because the, the person can no longer remember that. And so that sense of reminiscing, um, people talking about the past, um, which sometimes to be fair, other people make jokes about, you know, grandpa's on, a, on, on again about his time, um, and nevertheless has an important therapeutic value. Is that right? Yes. Because I think that's a very powerful message because it encourages families to talk among themselves and with the person about the family history, uh, what they've all been through, shared together, because everybody has shared experiences, and to recall the things in ways that engage the individual who's suffering from this awful, awful condition. Let me now, just add uh, that the important piece here is pleasant, something pleasurable, happy memories, because the last thing we want to have anyone think about doing is reliving some of the pain. We've all had painful experiences, and it's important that we don't relive those experiences with a person with dementia. Got it. Now, it's time to take the break again. So this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guests are Dr. Linda Terry and Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Listen to the women's side of the fitness industry on Fitness RX Radio with Adela Garcia and Sonia Gonzalez. If you're looking to stay healthy and look great or are getting ready to compete athletically, this is the show for you. We'll look at competitions from the inside out, bring you fitness tips, nutrition to keep you on top of your game, and so much more. We want to hear from you too, and we'll take your questions by phone or email. Tune in to Fitness RX Radio, airing every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific time on the voice america variety channel look and feel your best talk 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 that's all we do is talk if you'd like to talk call us toll free right now at 1-866-472-5787 that's it that's it voiceamerica.com you know i need someone You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at m-y-m-o-n-a-m-i dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Linda Terry and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is help through caregiver support programs for Alzheimer's disease. Now, I want us to talk about experience with caregiver support programs and in particular the types of challenges these help meet. Now, starting with you, you, Amy, please. Um, Where do the persons who receive caregiver programs generally live? Is it at home alone with their families in a care facility of some kind? And how do you organize the caregiver support programs for the various types of living arrangements? Right. So many of of the individuals that we see are in all of these locations. They're at home, alone, or with spouses, or potentially they're even caregivers for their own spouse. Uh, Both of them have cognitive impairment with their families in a care facility. So where we provide this kind of support is really wherever they are. So what I mean by that is offering the opportunity to teach and support the caregiver how to successfully engage their loved ones in whatever environment that they reside. Um, You know, encouraging loved ones um, to try different techniques, different approaches, different ways of speaking with their loved one when times get tough and they get frustrated with the fact 
mum keeps talking about 1935. Um, so it really is provided wherever they are uh, in their own communities. Right. Linda, now you're a researcher, and in, in the life of the researcher, measuring things, measuring the asset and assessing things for the effectiveness is uh, a very important part of the work that researchers do. So please could you tell us how the value of caregiver support programs is measured and assessed, and what is the impression that you have of the findings so far? The, the programs are measured in very commonsensical, if you will, uh, strategies. The programs need to be of value to the people who are participating. So a number of caregiver outcomes. Uh, does the caregiver feel this was helpful? Are they satisfied? Uh, what is their own mood state? Has their level of stress and burden been reduced? Do they have more access to services now? Uh, as well as outcomes on the care recipient. In my own research, we're very interested in this level of behavioral problems and distress the care recipient experiences lower. Is their mood better? Is their quality of life better? Are they more physically and socially active and, and energized? So the, the programs typically focus on measuring what seems to be important. The other aspect, of course, is cost. Uh, what are the costs of these programs? Does it delay additional costs? As we all know, long-term care is very expensive. Uh, even a month at home will save thousands of dollars for both the family uh, and society. So what are the costs of people attending these programs and what can be done uh, as part of the program to defray additional costs? Those are typically the measurements. Now, your impression of the findings to date, I know that's a very unfair question, but how, how, how are these measurements, um, what are they revealing? What are they telling you about the way things are moving? Programs that focus on skills training uh, are very successful. They've actually been shown to uh, affect all these outcomes I just mentioned. They've been shown to delay nursing home placement. They've been shown to improve caregiver uh, levels of stress, and they've actually, some of them have been shown to be as effective as some of the common uh, antipsychotics or antidepressants. So they've been very well received. Some of the more subjective uh, support education groups, they have not shown as good an impact but they've been rated very high by satisfaction and caregiver perception. So some of what we struggle with in research is maybe we need better measurements to tap into what people say is a very helpful program. Good point, and I'd, I'd just like to emphasize that, that sometimes uh, measuring things has to measure, doesn't it, what people feel and think about the the, the value of what's being done and not just what the data show on the dial, so to speak. Now, Amy, I want to ask you this question. Um, we hear from our politicians and the healthcare planners and all the experts more and more about aging at home. What, how do care, caregiver support programs support aging at home? Well, I think certainly, you know, these days uh, they offer a great deal of resources and tools and techniques of 
uh, how to cope and um, what's available and the navigation of the system. I certainly think, though, that there's some areas that, um, you know, there are some areas that it becomes very overwhelming for people, and we have had uh, perfect examples of people not taking part in caregiver support groups because they can't get out to them because they're caring for their loved ones. Um, often in the elderly uh, client, we'll see, you know, the, the wife really desperately needs to get to the support group, but she can't leave her husband alone at home. So it's kind of a catch-22, um, and for that, it's, it's challenging. I'm going to go to Linda for this, this one, though I will come back to you, uh, Amy, on that particular point. What about the experience of, with family support groups for Alzheimer's disease, and do these involve or encourage caregiver support programs? Now, what I'm driving at here is that I recently did an episode on Al-Anon family support groups, and this is where the families of people with alcohol problems get together and support each other. And the people I spoke to were very positive about this. And I, therefore, am extremely interested in the experience of family support groups for Alzheimer's disease, especially in light of Amy's comment that maybe they're a good idea, but maybe the family caregivers can't get to them. Linda, what do you think? I think you're right. That's a, that's a good analogy. Sometimes the best aspect of the family support group are other fam meeting other family members and understanding that what they're going through is not unique. Uh, it, it's unique in the sense that it's affecting them, but there are other people who have survived and can offer their benefits uh, advice. So I think the concept of peer support, family support for each other is a big one. The, the other aspect that I think we haven't touched on yet is the whole growth of technology in this area. So I share Amy's concern, what about the people who really can't get out? And are there ways that we can bring technology to them? Are there ways we can bring support? Uh, your own program, Gordon, this is hopefully providing some support to people who may not have known about uh, the, the availability of such groups and programs. I hope so. I hope you're right, because <laughs> I would like to think that's the case. But at the same time, yes, technology is important because it does mean and does obviously enable the idea of communication and contact without leaving the home. But I, I just want to press you, on the, Linda, on the particular question. Is it your feeling that there are family support groups um, that do provide a good way forward with Alzheimer's disease, and if so, um, would you like to see more of them, or do you have any reservations about them for any reason? I think that I, I personally think they're very valuable, and I would like to see more of them. What I would like to see, though, is training for the people who lead the groups. Um, a number of amazing people volunteer their time, uh, provide these groups. And they're not necessarily the easiest groups in the world because of the kinds of problems people are dealing with. So uh, I would like to see more support for the supporters, if you will, uh, and more skills and training and, and financial reimbursement, if at all possible. Right. 
And, and if I may add at, at all, sorry, to that, I, I agree. And I think the other thing is is that we have to be able to send these family members away with techniques. You know, there's one thing to have an outlet where we can all get together and talk about the challenges, but to have some solutions. You know, a few people approached me and said, I keep going to the same group, we keep talking about the same challenges, but nobody's telling us how to overcome these challenges. We just have an outlet. <laughs> Good point, Amy. Good point. And that was what I was trying to get at when I talked about skills building, that the, the research has shown that if you provide skills, if you give people the strategies, that's really what they benefit from. Mm -hmm. uh, and to, to talk is important and to provide support is important, but it can only go so far. Mm -hmm. Right. And people sharing experiences is powerful and important, but also people sharing success is not only that they themselves have experienced, but also ex things that have been shown to work mm -hmm. by the kind of studies, Linda, that you do, uh, w whereby this, this, whatever it is, is worth trying because we found that it helps people like you. That, that's a very powerful message to give to people, isn't it? Uh, Linda? Yes, yes, and I thank you for saying it. Uh, the more people understand what strategies really have been shown to work and use them in the community and use them with their own work, uh, the more we'll be able to help people. Amy, are you comfortable with that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. I mean, in everything that we do, even when we're working with our, our uh, the individuals in the community, we're always there showing the family members what it is that we're doing so that we put them on the same level as us. Everything that we're doing to empower them, encourage them for success as opposed to setting them up for failure. Right. I'm just going, we have only a few seconds left in this particular episode, so I just want to comment back to you about the technology. You know, more and more I'm seeing programs for families and seniors on how to use computers for communication. And it seems to me that that's one area where encouraging family caregivers to communicate among themselves, to talk among themselves, and to unite, if I may put in a plug, to get their voices heard using technology to do it, seems to me to be one of the ways in which we can advance things. Now, um, I'm not going to give either of you a chance to comment on that particular point because we do have to go into the break. But the next episode, we're going to be talking, asking you what are the things that you think need to be done to move, move ahead with the programs you're, you're talking about. So let's take the break. We pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley. My guests are Dr. Linda Terry and Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. 
Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Do you know what a brat is? No, we're not talking about that kind of brat. BRAT stands for British Regimental Attached Traveler. It was adopted by American culture after World War II when American military began long-term assignments at U.S. military installations worldwide. Learn about the BRAT culture, the lost tribe, by tuning in to BRATCon Radio with host Dennis Campbell and associate producer and co-host Jerry Glass. There are almost 8 million living BRATs. Hear from them and from guests who studied or examined them. Tune in Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America Business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. And Dr. Linda Terry and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is help through caregiver support programs for Alzheimer's disease. Now, I'm wanting to ask our two guests the questions about how well caregiver support programs are understood and provided and what's being done to promote and provide these. So first of all, starting with Amy, uh, people I call community-based professionals, that is nurses and physicians, you know, nurses who work in the community, um, maybe in the local hospital, physicians, family doctors, people like that, social workers, and the rest of the healthcare professionals who get involved. How well do they understand the family caregiving challenges of Alzheimer's disease? How well do they understand the role of caregiver support programs and what is being done to increase their understanding? Amy? I think, you know, like anything, you've got those that are empathetic and those that are just so wrapped up in the hustle and bustle and crisis of of the medical model situation sometimes that arises that I mean it's pretty you know you've got those that are completely empathetic and want to spend the time to find the resources necessary for the family members and then you've got those that will hand you know one of our clients a list of 35 resources and say make a phone call Um, so I, I mean I think we've got miles to go in terms of looking at this holistically as opposed to just 
one model or, or another, if that makes any sense. But, um, yeah, I think we're getting better. And, again, with more education, we'll get even better. Right. I'm going to come back to the broader issues in a moment, but I now want to ask Linda the same question, but relating to the wider public. How well does the wider public understand the role of caregiver support programs and the kind of stresses and strains that family caregiving in Alzheimer's disease actually, in, actually involves? And what's being done to increase the wider public's understanding? Linda? I think that the knowledge of Alzheimer's disease, the understanding that it's a disease that's common, that's becoming more and more prevalent, has increased tremendously in the past five years. I think the awareness of the role the family plays is increasing, but as Amy said, we do have a long way to go. Uh, the, oftentimes, uh, families are not given the credit, uh, are not given the attention that they really deserve. For example, uh, even taking somebody to a clinic uh, often requires a tremendous amount on the part of the family, but that's not acknowledged uh, and talked about in most hospital and medical settings. So I think that there's a great deal more we need to do to educate the public about their role and educate uh, healthcare professionals about how we in turn need to support families who support the people with dementia. Right. Now, going back to Amy, I want you to talk about what's being done in Canada um, and what more needs to be done to make more caregiver support programs available to persons with Alzheimer's disease and to their family caregivers. In other words, the kind of things that Linda was just talking about, what are we doing in Canada and what more needs to be done? Well, I think we are seeing a lot more of those empowering uh, support groups where we're having more caregivers take part so that they have the techniques and the tools so that they're not relying so heavily on their medical professions that are a part of their family's, um, their loved one's uh, care plan. I think what, what I see from my perspective, both from being uh, a family member who was a caregiver to uh, the individuals we work with, is there needs to be more collaboration. People need to stop working in silos if you will, and start looking at the bigger picture of one service doesn't fit all. And we need to work more, um, we need to work together more to optimize the support for individuals um, instead of just giving a couple of choices, you know. But, but educating more about why multiple choices might be the better fit as opposed to one size fits all. Fair enough. <laughs> Linda, it's the same question for you. What's being done and what more needs to be done in the U.S. to make more caregiver support programs available, and not only to the persons with Alzheimer's disease, but also to the family caregivers. Linda. I think in the U.S., the Alzheimer's Association has done a phenomenal job of mobilizing regional and local groups to provide support services. Uh, I think the kinds of things they need to be more effective uh, require staffing and funding and uh, educational programs, but I think they, they've done an amazing job if we think about what's available now versus 10 years ago. Um, I think the other issue that comes up, especially in the U.S. and, of course, every country, given our current economic climate, is how do we pay for the services that are needed, especially as, as more and more older adults are going to need these kinds of issues, and families are more fraction, fractionated. Um, 
They may not live close to these older adults. They may live long distances. So how are we going to deal with it as a society uh, is going to be a major issue in the next five years. Now, I'm, I'm torn between wanting to ask you uh, to develop that question, but I think that's a question for another episode, I hope. <laughs> uh, but what I do want to put to you both is the same question. Alzheimer's disease, as we all know, is a grim prospect in many, many ways. Um, and we're not very confident of finding a cure in the near future. And we know that the going is going to continue to be tough for the aging population and the people who provide care. So now I want to ask you this question. Um, am I right in saying that although it's a tough prospect, there is reason for hope, optimism, and some sense that while we may not be able to get rid of the disease, we may be able to make things better for family caregivers and therefore for the people for whom they're providing care. So let me, let me start with Amy, first of all, on that question. What do you feel about the question of hope and optimism? Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And, and I'll tell you a perfect example. Um, family members, I'm now getting more and more calls of family members that are far more educated than they were at the beginning of their journeys with their loved ones who were diagnosed with Alzheimer's. They're feeling far more uh, empowered, meaning, and, and that leading to um, confidence that, you know what, I can do this. I can take care of mom. I can make this as enjoyable as possible, and um, I will not, you know, I won't be a failure and I won't be, um, I won't let my loved one down. And I, I, we're seeing a lot more of that now as the generation changes too. Right. Mm -hmm. Linda, it's, going to be, it's the same question for you. How, how... I, I absolutely think there's hope on the horizon. I think that we now understand Alzheimer's much better than we did. We understand how people can benefit. It's not hopeless. Uh, it's it's something that we can improve people's lives. Uh, we can't cure it, but there are many diseases we can't cure that we, we learn to live with. So I think there's potential for tremendous improvement in people's lives, uh, and certainly we hope that there will be a cure down the road. But in the meantime, there's a lot that can be done. Right. Now, this is another, another of my questions, but money looms where I don't care which country you're in <laughs> and what healthcare system you're in, money looms as an issue and as a challenge for the families, for the healthcare system, um, for government, and for the economies. Um, and I want to put to you what is a somewhat political question, both of you. I think, and I invite you to say whether you agree or disagree, that the family caregivers are in fact subsidizing the healthcare systems as they currently are. And that there comes a point where we need to give them more support, not just because it's a good thing to do, but because they are in fact the stress relievers for the healthcare system. Now we have only a short time, but going back to Amy, how much do you agree or disagree with what I've just said about the importance of family caregivers in society stressed by Alzheimer's disease? 
Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I think it's very important. It's, it's key to quality uh, of, for everybody. Yeah. Quality of life, quality of caregiving, certainly. Yeah. Linda, same question. I absolutely agree. I would add another component to that, which is there's ample research to suggest that caregiving uh, creates health problems for the people who are providing care as well. Mm. So if we help caregivers, we will not only be helping the person with Alzheimer's disease, but we will be probably delaying health care costs for the caregivers themselves. So it's a win-win. So what we're really talking about doing is strengthening family caregivers as um, a subset, if you like, of the healthcare system. I don't mean we're turning them into healthcare professionals. I think what we're turning them into is, and this is a phrase I continue to use, it may be wrong, but the stress relievers, the people who take the strain, the people who are going to enable society to cope with the challenge of aging, with Alzheimer's disease, and of course with some of the other diseases like Parkinson's disease, which loom large on the horizon. So my sense of it is, and I'm going to ask you for a yes and no, um, whether you agree or disagree, is that we have to recognize that the family caregivers are a fourth stress-relieving group in their own right and need support. Amy, yes, do you agree, or no, you don't agree? Yes. Okay, Linda? Yes, absolutely. That wasn't a very fair way of doing it, but we've <laughs> run out of time. But I would like, and I'm going to say this to you just very quickly, because time is going to close in on us, um, that to say that this whole question of how society is going to cope in the future, if anybody's interested in doing an episode on that, I'd love to work with you, because I think it's a profound, profound question. So I want to say, in closing, thank you to our listeners. Please email us with your comments and questions. I'll be very, very pleased to hand these over, pass them on to Linda and Amy. And I want to say to both of you, Dr. Linda Terry and Amy McFarlane, thank you for sharing with us your insight, your experience, and your advice, but also your sense of optimism. Yeah, things are moving. There's better understanding there's a, a greater sense that we're going to be able to cope with it. It's something we can live with. It's not going to defeat us. And that, if I may say so, because I'm a European, is a very good North American attitude. <laughs> I want, right? And I want you both to continue and to be tremendously successful in what you're doing. Now, in our next episode, we're going to be talking about prostate cancer in the Caribbean community and its implications for family caregivers. So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 